is risen. He's risen indeed. Alleluia. As I record this, it is the week after Easter, and the angel's message still rings in our ears. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see. Go and tell. We will take one more week off from Mark's gospel and instead give our attention to that great resurrection chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's pray. By your deep wounds, O risen King, come set us free from death's sharp sting, that we may live and ever sing. Alleluia. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Why is the resurrection important? Not just important, but of first importance. I can give you a logical answer, but I don't think it really hits home until you are standing beside the casket of someone you love, remembering their smile, remembering all the good times, And now you stand wondering what you are going to do without that person. Death is our enemy. Sometimes it invades with such blazing speed. The day is bright and beautiful. And then we receive a phone call with the bad news and the darkness descends. Other times it is slow and relentless, leaving everyone wondering why it has to drag on like this. Death comes in many ways, but it comes. And one thing we don't want to do is face it alone. When I was in grade school at recess, at least during the fall and winter months, we would play football. And about five minutes into recess and into the game, our teacher would come out. He would ask, which team is losing? Which, for some reason, more often than not, was my team. His appearance in the huddle changed everything. He could throw the football with velocity and accuracy. He could put it in the tightest of spaces, Or he could put some air under it and throw the whole length of the playground and put it right in our hands as we ran in stride. The other team always groaned when they saw him emerge from the huddle. He changed our team from a loser into a winner. God did the same thing, only when the stakes were much higher. Seeing that we were losing to death, he entered the game. Paul says it this way, verse 3. But what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Death came because of sin, our sin. Jesus conquered death by taking our sins into himself and taking on himself their punishment. The words of Isaiah come to mind, written 700 years before. With such accuracy and detail, you would think that Isaiah was standing at the foot of the cross. Surely he, Jesus, took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. Going on at verse 3. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, just as God's word in the Old Testament said it would happen. That he was buried. Yes, Jesus was really dead. They buried him. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. But it would be hard for people to believe this incredible happening. After all, people do not normally come walking out of graves. So Jesus appeared to his disciples on many occasions to strengthen their faith. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Remember the disciples in the locked room on Easter evening? And then again a week later? After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. The theory that people were hallucinating falls apart here because 500 people don't all have the same hallucination at the same time. Paul goes on, most of whom are still living. You can go and talk to them if you want, though some have fallen asleep. That is the way the Bible now talks about the death of a Christian. It's not the end. It's only falling asleep. Falling asleep in one place on this earth and waking up in another place, a much better place, in heaven with Jesus. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul is referring to the fact that he came to faith in Jesus after the other apostles. In fact, he started out as a persecutor of the church. But Jesus appeared to him also, on the road to Damascus. Let's drop down now to verse 12. Those who say you have to chuck your brains at the door to be a Christian clearly have never read Paul's letters, including this section of 1 Corinthians. After he's just listed a number of Jesus' appearances after his resurrection, including the time he appeared to over 500 people at once, most of whom were still alive when Paul wrote this, so if you didn't want to take his word for it, you could go talk to the eyewitnesses, proving the resurrection is one of the most corroborated facts of history. After listing those resurrection appearances, Paul now uses logic and reason to demonstrate why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. The Greek Roman mind in Paul's day thought that when you died, your soul went on in some shadowy existence, usually unhappy and gloomy, but sometimes bright and happy. Think Russell Crowe in the movie Gladiator. But it was always without the body. You were done with this body. The body's done for. It's never coming back. The Christians at Corinth were starting to lapse into that thinking. See, that's what happens when you don't study Scripture and grow in your faith. Wrong ideas from the culture around you start seeping into your thinking. And without Scripture to inter intervene, we eventually fall from our faith entirely. So Paul uses a logical argument here to reach these Corinthian Christians. If you are saying there is no such thing as the resurrection of the body, that would have to mean that Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, this thing we call 
church is an incredible waste of time. Verse 15. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If Christ has not been raised, then this is all based on a lie. Look, no offense, I enjoy seeing you on Sunday mornings. I like the music. We have awesome musicians. But if all we're doing is delivering lectures on a dead hero and singing some sentimental songs, I'm sorry, some Galilean rabbi who got himself killed by the Romans back in the first century is not the answer to my problems. In fact, this would be the most horrible hoax that has ever been played. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Since Jesus on that cross had become guilty of all of our sins, Good Friday was either going to be the end of sin or it was the end of Jesus, one or the other. Either he was going to take our sins down or our sins were going to take him down. If Jesus stays dead, then our sins took him down then we are still in our sins. And that means death still has its hold on us. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who have died in faith, are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then the goodbyes at the cemetery are, are goodbyes forever. We will never see our loved ones again. And if everything ends in dust and ashes, what's the point? Macbeth's lines were not too pessimistic after all. Life is but a walking shadow, a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. We were wrong about God. He either does not love us, as we so fervently believed, or he is powerless to save us. We are orphans who have imagined ourselves a heavenly father. There are some who say, even if Jesus did not rise from the dead, even if there's no heaven, the Christian life would be worth living. Paul says, baloney. Take that money you were going to put in the offering plate to help other people learn about Christ. Take that money and buy yourself a plane ticket to some exotic location where it doesn't snow in April and get yourself a hammock and a drink and, and have some rum until you're comfortably numb. Then life really is this simple. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's through verse 19. Now verse 20. But, and some have said, this is the most important but in all of literature. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So go back. And reverse everything Paul has just said. Our preaching is not useless, and neither is your faith. He is alive, and he speaks to me today. He does so through his word. It is living and active. If Jesus is alive, and he is, Paul says, then I want to make these few hours on Sunday morning the highest priority of my week, because it is here that the living Christ meets with me, and it is here he speaks with me and guides me into all truth. Since Christ is raised from the dead, we are not in our sins. 
Easter morning is the exclamation point at the end of Jesus' sentence spoken on the cross. It is finished. The full payment for all of our sins, past, present, and future, the full payment has been made. Since Christ has been raised, we can look forward to seeing our loved ones again. That will be a great day when we will be welcomed home into heaven and we will be surrounded by those who love Jesus and we will be laughing and talking and celebrating because death will have been swallowed up in victory because that message, He is risen, changes everything. Let's wrap up this podcast by jumping to Paul's conclusion at the end of the chapter, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God found a place to put death. That is on the body of his one and only Son on the cross. God showed us the worst of death. When he called on Jesus to bear the worst that death was able to bring. In those black hours of Good Friday, Jesus was dying all of our deaths. But God showed us the best side of his love when he brought Jesus back from the dead. Proof positive that he had paid for all of our sins and that death was dead. Oh, cemeteries are still in business, but death has lost its power. If it were a cat, it would be declawed. If it was a snake, it would be defanged. If it was a bee, the stinger has been removed. We close our eyes in death only to reopen them in eternal glory with Jesus. Finally, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not if he's alive. You've probably heard some famous last words. A Harvard, a Harvard historian said this, If Christ has not risen, nothing else matters. If Christ has risen, nothing else matters. In other words, if Christ has not risen, nothing matters. It's all dust and ashes. But if Christ has risen, nothing can compare in significance. Nothing is of greater importance than following and serving him. What is my labor in the Lord? Well, we all have different callings, but there are some questions, but here are some questions for all of us. Do I treat my fellow Christians as though I'm going to spend eternity with them? Do I feel an urgency to call others to Christ because I know that faith in Christ is a matter of life and death? Next week, we get back to Mark's gospel. And we pick it up in the middle of chapter 9. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Peace.